Heat Seeking Panther, Miles and Dave, talking about Nicholas Cage. Welcome to uh, the, the most, the sickest episode of Heat Seeking Panther yet, because Miles and I are both congested and disgusting. Uh, but uh, if it sounds like my head is the size of a balloon, that's why <laughs> it is. Um, what a what a movie though, and what a well. First, should we start by talking about Saturday Night Live? Yeah, I think I think so. Because uh, right around this time in Nick Cage's career, he had his first hosting gig on Saturday Night Live. Uh, is it? Just, did he do any? Did he do it after that nah, ever again? It was just that's the one it, time. The one okay. time. Uh, musical guest Bobby Brown. That's right. Yeah. Um, what I have, I hadn't watched a full episode of any Saturday Night Live in in years. I actually didn't even get through the whole thing. That's fine. Yeah. And like, yeah. What uh, what was your takeaway? It was just really painful to watch. And I mean, not that SNL just usually isn't funny. Yeah. But I think the thing about it is just that Nick Cage looked so uncomfortable. And he looked like he was really struggling. I, I I think I I thought he handled it I think better than than you did. I mean he was just like I just forgot how fucking unfunny Saturday Night Live is. Like this is the kind of episode that watching as a kid. You know that Lauren Michaels will make sure we never work in this town again, right? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have watched this episode as a kid and be like, huh. I'm not adult enough to understand all these references and jokes, and, and I, I'm, I don't get what's funny about this, and someday I will. But now I just know that it's just not funny. Like, they're, um, perfect example being, I think, like Nick's main sketch, which was Tiny Elvis. Which was the only one that I actually laughed at. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was, it was so stupid that it, it kind of ruled. But it was... I mean, that's the whole joke. The whole joke is just the title. It's just Elvis being tiny. And, uh, Do you think that they did that sketch? They wrote it for Nick Cage because he yes. had, because his honeymoon in Vegas was out at the time? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And, and just that he like, I don't know. They, but it seems like the first, like it's not even, it's just, okay, we got to do an Elvis thing. What, what if he was tiny? And he was always like, hey, I'm tiny. <laughs> like that was the fucking sketch. The other sketch that he was in was the one with the baby names. Yeah. Did you, you yeah. made it that far? I did. Which, oh, so the joke being that he and his pregnant wife need to name their baby and he keeps shooting down every suggestion that she puts out there because it rhymes with it. Cause other kids can use the name to make fun of him. But didn't the Simpsons do that exact same joke? I, I, I don't know specifically, but I'm going to go ahead and say that the Simpsons usually did it and they usually did it better yeah, the, than whatever like comedy bit we're talking about at the time. Because Homer keeps shooting down Marge's suggestions and then because they rhyme with rude things and then she says Bart and he's, he can't think of anything, which is funny. And then the, the punchline of this sketch being that, well, his, his name was like Mr. Asswipe or something. <laughs> um, I'm just looking at my notes. Yeah, I don't know, man. Adam Sandler. I remember why people fell in love with Adam Sandler. Opera Man was funny-ish. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm not with you on that one. But that's fair. But I, I it had, it had some life to it. That I the understand other stuff the appeal of of Adam Sandler. Yeah, I don't agree with it. Yes, I think across the board. Yeah. I've just never thought Adam Sandler was funny, even when his movies were, even when his m- most popular movies lined up with the right age for me to be at when they came out. I still never yeah. thought. I never enjoyed them. Yeah, I, I wasn't a hundred percent. I remember I, I went to see the Water Boy with Oof. some friends when yeah. it came out. Same. And everyone in my group thought it was the funniest movie they'd ever yeah. seen, and I pretended to like it, right? Because I needed them to think that I was cool, right? But I was like, why? Like that was the first. That was one of the first times in my like preteen life where I started to realize the importance of groupthink yeah. and like making other people believe that you. Th- that you agree with them yeah, with certain things, you know what uh-huh. I mean? And I, and, and I remember just being like, well, I guess I got to do it. I guess I got to <laughs> pretend that I thought the water boy is the height of Western comedy. Um, yeah, I think that was my, I, I remember enjoying Billy Madison, but I enjoyed it because everyone I knew at school had already quoted the whole movie to me. And so I watched it and I was like, Oh yeah, this reminds me. I, now I'm part of the group. And Happy Gilmore to a lesser extent, but uh, yeah, I remember thinking the Water Boy was pretty dire. Um, I can't. All I remember now is it had that that you can do it guy, and there was a a running joke that Adam Sandler wet the bed. That feels like a movie that like like thinking about rewatching that movie like my it, it's like my pain receptors like fire like I don't. I'll watch a lot of shitty movies, but that sounds like such an arduous, like <laughs> unrewarding thing. But I, I mean, with that reaction and it's I watching him as not Adam Sandler, the cultural icon move, but just as like someone it as a part of this dire fucking exercise and sketch comedy, like he was fun to watch, I think. And that's how I felt about Chris Farley too, who made a bunch of shitty movies, but was, was pretty funny just as he just had a funny energy. Phil Hartman. I mean, I get, I don't even know what I'm trying to say where I don't know where I want to land. Cause I, I was like, I came out of this respecting those performers and understanding why young kids like them a lot. And also like thinking less of Saturday night live. So I don't know what that means, but, uh, yeah, that was, we, we did that. We watched it and, um, we'll never watch another one. Probably not. Well, it even makes me not want to go back and watch other older episodes of SNL, even not for any specific reason, like research for the podcast or anything, but just to just be like, Oh, I wonder what an old episode of SNL looks like. Yeah. And and I think that no matter what era I pull it from, it's just going to be as disappointing as that. Right. Yeah, I'd watch a uh, like a thirty-minute-long best of SNL covering like the forty-five years or whatever. (laughs) Be like twenty seconds from each sketch. Yeah, they have to fit so much into only thirty minutes. Yeah, it's just gonna. It's just the punchline. It's yeah, it's just gonna be like Jane, you slut in a van down by the river. Like just (laughs) we are some wild and crazy guys. (laughs) Yeah, that's all it is. Just it's just the punchlines. I'd watch that and then feel be like, man, SNL, what a show. Um, but, uh, onto the main course, Amos and Andrew, what? Uh, <laughs> he's a, 
Okay, so I didn't do any research mm-hmm. on anything about the movie after I I watched. I just watched it yesterday. Uh, yeah. So it's still pretty fresh in my mind. That's good. But I didn't usually. Usually I'll have time to like do some internet research on the film and get yeah. some background and context. I didn't this time. So maybe I'm missing out on some important things <laughs> no. to know. Okay. No, I'll give you the little bit of context that I have, Sure, which is uh, the this is the only movie written and directed by Max Fry um, who wrote Something Wild and Foxcatcher. The movie with oh yeah the one that just came out yeah like last year or like recently with yeah. uh, what's okay. his name Steve Carell, um, but this is the only movie he directed. There even in in the book the unauthorized biography of Nicholas Cage, a man behind Captain Carelli by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. There's just like not much in here. He's just um, do they kind of do they kind of gloss over this period or. Um, it's just, I think there, he was, he just started doing a lot at once and there's just more interesting stuff. Like he, at the same time he was doing this, he was working on Red Rock West, which there's also not a lot in here, but that's like a more interesting film and there's more going on. And it was just like, he, he needed to pay his bills. So he was doing it. (laughs) And I mean, he's, he said, um, his Nick Cage's reason for being in this film is he wanted to do uh, comedies, and this comedy he felt like said something. It had, you know, it had a, a social, sociopolitical message. So it it felt, you know, it's about racism and class struggle and and everything, and which is true, and that's why he wanted to do it. But I think the important conversation is does it succeed what first what is it trying to say about those things and does it succeed and i don't i I, the second question the answer is no (laughs) the first question the answer i don't know well the thing the thing is is i think while watching it the thing that i kept thinking to myself was yes it did say some things about race and class in america it said them. Yes. <laughs> that is <laughs> like that. That's about as far as it got. Yeah. So I don't know that that's valuable or relevant. No, I, I think that is, that is it on the nose. Like, and this is that, this is a specific kind of, I feel like nineties comedy. Um, right. Like and social- the other thing is, is just have we come, have we come that far in the 25 years that this, that, that the way that this approaches the subject makes it no longer matter in our society currently. And then I think like probably not because we're just as racist, if not more than we were in the nineties. Yeah. But but, like is, but are we just more aware of it now? So it all seems more obvious. I I think so. I think, I mean, cause if this movie had been well done, um, we would have watched it and come to the table and been like, this movie is still so relevant because all the, I mean, it's, it's liberals versus conservatives. It's liberals, uh, you know, paying lip service to being progressive, but actually being racist police violence against blacks, uh, corruption in the government, corruption in the police force, the news media operating as, uh, entertainment, uh, in like first and foremost and news second, like all those things are extremely relevant now, but this movie 
all it does is like you said, it, it brings them up and it's like, we did it. It's like satisfied with that. It brings them up and then turns them inside out in a really flat comedy that like falls on its face. Right. It's like, you're supposed to laugh at it, but yeah, but it's not, it's not, they they don't give it to you in, in a humorous way. And then Mm. when the reality of the situation, the actual reality separated from the slapstick comedy peeks out every once in a while. Yeah. It almost is in danger of it not being a comedy anymore because it's very heavy. Yeah, exactly. And then immediately it'll be like, oh, wait a minute. No, we don't want to get that serious. So we're just going to turn it into a bit again. Right. I I read a Roger Ebert uh, review of it from the time. The funniest part of that review to me was like, he talks about how this movie wastes Samuel L. Jackson and who, severely. severely. It's a severe waste of Samuel yeah. L. Jackson. Um, but uh, he's like, who was so good in Jungle Fever? And I was like, yeah, that that, that was his career at this point. So this is like 1993. This is right before Pulp Fiction. If this movie casts him as like an uh, urbane nerd playwright. But um, before we get into that, it, it, Roger Ebert basically says, Roger, who I don't always agree with on movies, but he he's basically it's like, if this movie wanted to be social commentary, it needed to be a lot more cutting. And if it wanted to be a comedy, it needed to be a lot more funny. And it, yeah, that's and it, it. It didn't do either. It didn't do either. It, you know, it, the whole, like from the name to the fact that it's like, okay, it's called Amos and Andrew and we know what you're thinking, but the black guy is the rich, smart one. And the white guy is uh, the, the, the dumb criminal, the dumb criminal. Yeah. And you see what we did there? I bet that got you thinking, you know, Subversion, it's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> right. Middle America isn't ready for our take on race relations. <laughs> right. It, it's like that idea came to Max Fry and he's like, shit, that's the script written right there. But again, but again, my point being was in the early nineties, was that enough to make it radical? Yeah. I mean, I think you could get away with like, it's it, easy yeah. for us to make fun of it from our, you know, with, with our 2020 vision, right. like a decade and a half later, but like, or no more than that. It's like, it's 25, it's yeah, like, it's like, like over 25 years. years. Yeah. yeah. So, but you know, I mean, uh, yeah. No. Cause that, but I mean, I think it, it was enough for it to feel radical to the people to like the cheap seats that they, they were trying to pitch, uh, this movie to, um, but you know, there were movies in the sixties and seventies, like that were dealing with the same shit that, uh, actually like went somewhere subversive with it. It, it would be really ballsy if it had, uh, if it had succeeded in pulling off what, whatever kind of like statement it's trying to make, but it, 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 it walks right up to the edge and then just like sits down and pats itself on the back. Um, and so, it, yeah, it had to be a lot wackier or had to be a lot darker. And it it wasn't enough of either. It almost seemed like Samuel L. Jackson was acting in a different movie than everyone else. Yeah. He, I mean, he, yeah, he, he was not given a lot to work with. Like, he's, uh, for the two main characters, like, Nick Cage... Nick Cage is actually pretty fun to watch in this movie, I, I think he. I think like, he plays this kind of criminal same the same way that he did in Raising Arizona. Yeah. You know, he, he just plays like the, the like two bit career criminal, 
you know, who just likes robbing because he needs to support himself and his family. Yeah. Like he's not doing it like, and like notice they make a huge point in this film about he has never killed anyone uh-huh. and he doesn't have the guts to pull the trigger right. when he needs to, Right. you know, and that's like a big thing. Um, and then at the end, the only thing he wants is to escape go to away. Canada. Yeah, that's all that he's asking. He's not the, holding the, anyone for ransom. He's like, just let me get to Canada. I just want to get out of here. He's the perfect criminal for uh, middle America. Cause he's just, he just wants to go away. Exactly. Just wants to be someone else's problem. Um, Canada's problem specifically, yeah, yeah. which I feel like no one in middle America would argue with. Yeah. If you like, fuck it, him. let Canada have him. Yeah. Take him. But he's given a little bit of material to like be funny with. And Samuel L. Jackson has to play the straight man, which is just not, it's not a rewarding role. It's his whole, I mean, it's painful. It's painful to watch him in this movie. Because we know he's capable. We know he's capable of so much more and we know that the material is capable of so much more. And to see them failing hand in hand like that seems, it's like an abusive relationship almost. It's like, wait, no, just you're both better than that. Right. (laughs) Right. And, um, I mean, it's nice knowing that within like a year, Pulp Fiction would come out and Samuel L. Jackson's whole career would be shaped forever and ever. And Could you imagine if he had gone down this road, like if Pulp Fiction had never happened yeah. and, and we knew Samuel L. Jackson for a much different kind of character? Yeah, role? it's just, it, it's, I can't overstate like how ill, like fitting he is in this role. I mean, I don't, maybe like, Maybe someone way more buttoned up, I guess, would or, or like more effete and nerdy, like natu- like I can see them being in this movie and it feeling a lot more comfortable. And I don't, I don't know if the movie would succeed anymore because the one thing that I, I, when I was trying to be like, why did they think he was the right guy for this role? And it's like the one or two moments where he gets mad, you know, and um, he's like strident, and it's totally, you know, because they they do want to make a they're like, you know, he is a powerful black man. He, he is going against, uh, I mean, there's this whole threat. I don't even know how to comment on it, but it's like this whole thread of Nick Cage being like, you're not really black. I don't, it, it's, Oh yeah. He called him the whitest black guy he's ever yeah. met or something. Right. And there was this whole idea and then Nick Cage accuses him of being married to a, to white, a white woman, woman. and it's how he like joke. sold out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, and then at the end of the movie, it turns out he never, that his wife is black and like, yeah. And, and they, and it was just like, like, I don't understand if that whole like accusation subplot was supposed to tell us something about Nick Cage's character right. or to somehow, you know, <sighs> I think it was like, it was like, okay, we're presenting this character who, you know, by this movie's, uh, worldview has sold out his blackness. And, uh, we want you to make an assumption of that so that we can upend that assumption. And, you know, once again, you'll be forced to question your, um, y- the stereotypes that you hold dear, but it's just like, you know, again, it, it, but like, it's a bait it, and switch. Yeah, and 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 it's a bait and switch that doesn't add up to anything no, at the end. I think what I can say is that it wasn't in line in with Samuel character. L. Jackson's character at all. No in any way. It, with, so with the in history that way, that he gave and right. like yeah, that that he's writing like plays. He wrote a play called Yo Brother Where Art Thou, which all the IMDb trivia for this movie is like two different things being like hey. 
that's close to the Coen Brothers movie. Maybe they took it from there. Like, there's not even a, an actual through line, but uh, that's Maybe weird. Maybe they did. They might have. Um, just Joel and Ethan Coen watching Amos and Andrew <laughs> brainstorming. What if they're huge fans of the movie? Yeah, they could be. I mean, part of why the, you can't, this movie didn't work is Amos and Andrew, their characters are barely two dimensional. Like, you know, they're, I, I don't like their motivation through this whole movie is so hard for me. was hard for me to pin down. I guess it's like, yeah, okay. Nick Cage was going to go to jail and then he got, and now he wants to go to Canada and, uh, and Samuel L. Jackson just wants to like live in his house. And then, but then is, oh. that, is that his, is that the character's motivation? Yeah. Can you think of a better one? <laughs> if you can boil down his character's entire motivation to, he just wants to live in his yeah, house. He just wants to have, be able to set up his stereo without uh, the neighbors calling the police on him. And so you have these two characters with like, almost no motivation thrown into the most high concept comedy uh, uh, that just so ridiculously high concept that there's this like police chief who's running for office who ends up responding to this call that the racist neighbors make when they see Samuel L. Jackson setting up his stereo and then all the police surround his house because they think Samuel L. Jackson is a black man or no, they know he's a black man. <laughs> they, they, they think he's robbing the house and uh, they pull guns on him and it becomes a big thing. And then, and then to protect his political standing, he makes a deal with Nick Cage's criminal who's in jail to, to basically pretend that he's the guy who broke into the house. So, and then hold Samuel L. Jackson hostage, hostage and then they're going to let him go. But then they end up escaping from the house. And just like already, I like, that's exhausting. Just, I, it, the thing it's, is the, the intricacies, the intricacies and the mechanics of, of the, of the plot and how everyone was confused about something and lying to someone else about a certain aspect of it. I feel like was well thought out. Okay. But, <laughs> but none of the motivations lined up. Yeah. So they figured right. out how they could make it a ridiculous slapstick, like comedy of errors. And yes. then they, and then they penciled in all of the characters and the motivations for how they got there. Right. No, it, it's, it, it, he, he understands high step, high concept comedy in the sense that like, yeah, there is a certain humor to like X leading to Y leading to Z these like random unforeseen uh, reactions and it becoming a web of of people, but he completely leaves out the human element of it. it they're just so sketchily drawn in. I mean, the main characters that that's really bad, and that to say nothing of all the surrounding characters who are just nothing. Well, and the other thing, they're I I think they're worse. I think they're worse than nothing. They're just evil racists. <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> well are they evil or are they just like completely inept 
Like everybody else is just well, like, they well, they are definitely completely inept. But yeah. absolutely, there is absolutely there is like racist motivation for everyone. For everyone, yeah. They, you know, and 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 it might be and it might be couched in well, I'm just trying to protect my neighborhood, right? But the but the script sets it up so that you are not meant to sympathize with any of the residents or the police at yeah. all in any way, and you're just supposed to see them. As like bumbling racist idiots yeah. that are purposely, uh, that's the thing because they're doing it on purpose. Yeah. They are, you know, they're, they're purposely, uh, stereotyping Samuel L. Yeah. Jackson's character the police in, are, in, in the worst way possible. Yeah. The police are buffoons. And the only reason that they go, that they try and cover up the fact that they almost shot Samuel L. Jackson for like just existing is that the guy is running for political office. Which again, like okay, like from a, a comedic like slapstick setup standpoint, that that motivation makes sense. But when you pull back a little bit and you're like, God, like okay, if that construct in the story hadn't been there, if he hadn't been running for office, like this is the type of movie where it's been like, I don't know, you, would that character even have tried to cover it up? Like it, there's this much darker movie like right under the surface, and then the neighbors who w- w- initially call the police on Samuel Jackson, like, yeah, we're, we're just, we're not meant to sympathize with them. We're meant to laugh at them. And the way that it tries to kind of undercut them and make them seem, uh, lower on the relatability, uh, poll for us is that, um, when Amos and Andrew go into their house, they uncover a bunch of like kinky, they, they uncover like uh, leather harnesses and like sex oil and stuff. And so you can tell that the narrative of the film is like, it's okay to laugh at these people. I mean, they even call them like perverts later. And like, it, and so it's just, it's like, okay, these people, they said that they're liberals and progressives, but actually they're fucking perverts and they're gross. And then on the flip side, you have like, Nick Cage smoking the neighbor's weed that he finds. He finds his joint and he offers it to Samuel L. Jackson. And Samuel L. Jackson's like, hey, man, not all black people smoke drugs, you know? And Nick Cage is like, all the black people I know do, like, just being real with you. And, you know, that's it. That's your, like, view of, like, this is real. This is normal reality. And we're we're subverting your expectations, but also, like, telling it like it is. I just, it's just so... And and then the like all the other black characters in the film are just part of this like reactionary congregation that have that, no purpose in the plot. This seriously bothered me. They're all singing in a gospel yep. like group together as they're as they're marching down the street. Yeah, just this like And he's he's dressed like little Richard in like a purple <sighs> velour suit with like jerry curled hair. Right. And then there's all these like Cosby sweaters and like church hats and stuff, even though and it's just like and and they just act as this monolithic you know, it's like this this monolithic reactionary group in the movie's reality. Like black people just just move in this hive mind of like you did a bad thing to a black person, and now we're gonna riot and cause trouble and accidentally burn down the house. Like you know, like the movie tries to have it both ways by having them be like peaceful but holding fucking torches and having one of the like dudes dressed in a flat top and like and like a and like an MC Hammer like jacket. Yeah. Come in and set the be house like, on be fire. Be like, whoops, <laughs> dude! It, it the, the end. The end of the movie escalated into a full-on race war. Yeah, it was for a movie that like tries to go there. 
it goes, it, you know, it, it introduces the race war, but then the two character, the two main characters are like, peace, like we're going away now. And we don't even like, we don't even know how it ends up. Right. Well, and I mean, what's the deal? Does Samuel Jackson, what happens with his house? His house is burned down and his wife comes to visit him on the island and he's just like, man, I got a lot of stuff to tell you. (laughs) I don't know. Like, what did we learn? And then, but more puzzling than that is Nick Cage, the whole movie, his character is talking about going to Canada and then at the at the end, he finally gets his chance. He he's in a car. This is I'm going to read from the Wikipedia uh, summary of this movie because even the people of uh, Wikipedia were confused by this. It says uh, Amos and Andrew are shown having boarded a barge now on the other side of the island, where Amos and Andrew meet up with Andrew's wife. Amos drives away as Andrew and his wife hug, and the two part ways as friends. The last scene shows Amos at stop sign saying, "Canada, here I come." And then turning onto Interstate 95, dot, 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 headed in the wrong direction. Like yeah. he, he's going south. He gets on the I-95 south. And that's the last shot of the movie. Right. Well, because that's, remember when he said earlier he thought he was already in Canada? When he, oh, when he, when that's he, the joke. When he tried, it's, I, I mean, it's barely he's a done. joke, okay. but I think that it's just that he has no sense of direction and that he's, the reason he keeps getting caught every time he commits a crime is because he's <sighs> stupid and inept. So like the ending of the movie is just the throwback. It's like a weak punchline to a <sighs> weak joke that never really existed. I hate that. You know what I didn't hate was um, Nick Cage's Sea Monkeys monologue. Yeah, that was a really good monologue. <laughs> I actually thought about maybe like if I ever have to take an acting class again and I have to do a monologue, Doing the I, sea like, monkey maybe monologue? I should do that monologue. Yeah, he talks about seeing the sea monkey family and how happy they look. And, and, uh, and then he finally, he wants his family to be like the sea monkey family and then his mom gets him sea monkeys, breaks down and then it, it, it's just some powder that you dump in water and it turns filthy and then they flush it down the toilet. (laughs) Again, really pretty dark. Um, but, uh, but I enjoyed it. Remember when they put cage in blackface? Yes. Yes. For no reason. Well, no, because they, they, they have to make it plausible that the neighbors thought he was a black man through the window. God, you followed this movie way better than I did. I just, I saw that and I was just like, why, why? Um, I mean, they don't explain it as that, but I'm assuming that's the reason, No, you're completely right right, because there's at least two white men in blackface in this movie. Who was the other one? Uh, Wasn't there, it was there, there's that other guy who broke into the house later. And then remember when he cried, remember the single tear down his face? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when the chief explains to him the mistake that he made with like with the black guy being Andrew Sterling who yeah. actually lived there and then and then they cut away to the that other like second in command officer who uh-huh. who goes crazy was probably in Nam and like took it over right. his career as a cop but then he the, the camera pans over to him and he just looks off into the distance and a single tear <laughs> comes down his cheek and then they cut away. That's the end of the scene. Oh, I didn't catch that. What I did was something I did genuinely like was uh, Bob Balaban as the hostage negotiator. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's one joke. Like it's but like a Bob, Saturday night live. Sketch. Bob Balaban pulls it off. So good. Yeah. He's the perfect, he was maybe the only instance of the 
100% correct casting yeah. of the character in this movie. Right. The joke being that he's a hostage negotiator and he he doesn't even, he's just talking over the walkie-talkie to the police chief who is tied up, but he thinks he's talking to Andrew and uh, just opening up his heart and telling him all about his childhood traumas to like try and relate. Um, yeah, that made me laugh. Another little thing, that TV reporter, his eyebrows were crazy. Did you make a note yes, of that? I did. <laughs> he had the most insane eyebrows ever. Where did they find that guy? I don't know. They look like, they're like tufts of hair sticking straight. They're like horns coming out of his head. And they they were like half black, half, they were like salt and pepper, like yeah. half black, half gray. Yeah, really extreme. So at the end, Nick Cage and, and Samuel L. Jackson call each other brother, which is uh, pointed and, uh, you know, and, and, and it seems like the, the takeaway that the movie wants you to, to have is that everyone across the r- racial lines just needs to unite against the police. Yes. Like, is that like the takeaway? Just that, <laughs> yes. That, I, think, uh, I think, I think ultimately the moral of the story, and that's where it seems to pivot from its like <laughs> initial goal of of trying to deal with just racism in general mm-hmm. at the end, it basically says like, let's do away with No, no, no. It doesn't say let's do away with racism. What it says is if we just do away with racism, we can all unite against the common enemy, which is <laughs> yeah. the police and or government. Yeah. That, um, that like, that's basically what it's saying. Yeah. And now imagine if this movie, truly understood that that's what it was saying and doubled down and just, and made like a really angry but, movie. Right. Like it could have, I mean, that's a movie that Samuel Jackson should have been in, but, um, this was not, no one should have been in this movie. It should have just been Bob Balaban just talking in a walkie talkie. I want to see the uncut footage, like the, the extended scene. Uh, of 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 uh, Bo- of all of like Bob Balaban's monologue, just riffing. Yeah, just riffing. I'm sure. I'm sure that that's what happened. That yeah, they filmed I, a bunch of it of him just like riffing, and then they chopped up the better parts. Yeah, it's, it seems that way. The last thing that I to touch on is the uh, the Sir Mix-a-Lot song that plays over the ending credits, which to until I saw this movie. Could not name you another Sir Mix-a-Lot song. Besides Besides Baby, Baby Got, Got Back. Back. But now I can. And it's suburban called Suburbian Nightmare. Nightmare. Not Suburban. Suburbian. Because well, you need the extra syllable so that it scans correctly. I know. It's just interesting because I thought I always thought of Sir Mix-a-Lot as an Urbian uh, artist. So <laughs> But that that song has the like that a trope that I really like, which is a hip hop song just describing the, or even any song in a movie that just describes the plot of the movie that you just watched. <laughs> like <laughs> it wasn't like any kind of alternate take on the same themes or no, like, or just, someone just telling it real about racism in America. It, it was just literally recaps. just describing events from the plot of the film that you just sat through. Yeah. My name is Andrew and I moved to a house. I should be, safe to set up my own stereo but i'm living in a suburban nightmare um yeah i i feel like uh contacting sir mix a lot 
to be your like i feel like sir mix a lot was like the eighth choice though you think so i think so that's what it seems like to me i don't know why anyone would go after sir mix a lot this was uh, this is otherwise i think this was pre-babies Baby i got doubt back. that maybe you know if you have your ear to the urban scene and you know what kind of music is coming out you know no i think i think somebody approached him and they were like look do you like money and he was like, yeah, I do. And he was like, do I? Yeah. <laughs> what do I have to do? Uh, just Can you just turn the events of this movie into uh, a hip-hop verse? Yes. Yeah, so that was terrible. And that movie was fucking terrible. And uh, don't trust the police. Don't trust movies. And if we could all just learn to get along, then <laughs> we could fight the real enemy. Really, this movie was like a severely radical like prop a piece of propaganda prop like <laughs> that was just like completely bungled yeah i mean maybe the coen brothers should remake it <laughs> someone get them on the phone like um because all the themes are still relevant just throw out every other element <laughs> you have a great movie Speaking of great movies, um, I don't want to hype it up too much because it has been years since I've seen it, but next time we're going to be talking about Red Rock West, which um, is at the very least a much better movie than this. Um, I'm excited because I don't know anything about that except that you have told me. Yeah, it's a really I, good I know. Movie. I'm, now I'm internally preparing for it to not hold up, but... Um, I think you should trust your... I mean, yeah. I, I, even, even if you saw it years ago, I think you should still trust yourself that you know it'll be half decent at least. I mean, it's as Dennis Hopper essentially playing um, his Blue Velvet character versus Nick Cage essentially playing, like, you know, another outlaw. It's, it's you know... It's Is it a Western? But, yeah, like a modern Western. Okay, cool. It, it's really good. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then Deadfall. So we've got a couple of, of ringers coming up. But... Um, this one, I'm I'm not sad to see the behind us. Hey, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is that how bloodhounds work? That you can just put, Can you just give them- Give like, them a thing and a then th they follow the scent of wherever that thing- Yeah. I don't know, but that I've never seen that happen in a movie before, that the bloodhounds were chasing them and then they had the po bad police chief's wallet and they just waved it in front of the bloodhounds and they were like, like, oh, going this way now. Well, yeah. Like, is, is it that easy to confuse bloodhounds that you just give them something else to sniff and then they turn <laughs> around and head in the opposite direction? Because they, they're probably really terrible hunting dogs if that's the case. But I know that that's exactly what people use them for. So I, I'm willing to bet that that's not how they work. I don't, I don't think so. I'm willing to bet that Max Fry has uh, never been on like uh, – uh, a search party for like an escaped criminal, but uh, who knows that I also, I mean, just the guy who owned the bloodhounds in the movie was like the most hillbilly dude with like <laughs> overalls and stuff. Like, come on now, <laughs> like bringing them through the house, just running over the crime scene. Oh, I, this isn't even a better way to end it, but the, there were two dog actors in this movie that played the dog Rommel. 
named Rambo and Amigo. <laughs> You're welcome, brother. <laughs>